Yeah, man, it's your boy Drewski coming at you with a message for you. Uh, number one, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you at all. You are a life form in the universe, just as a cloud is a life form, or a plant, or a tree, or a rhinoceros, or a billy goat, or a rock, or whatever else that's alive. In the sense that, obviously you aren't those things, but in the sense that those are life forms, so too are you, as opposed to you're a life form and there's something wrong with you, <laughs> which every human being picks up. And even that's part of it, so that's okay too. That's right too. And I understand, you know, if a person is sick or financially stressed or the heel on your shoe is broken or you're hungry or any number of other things that cause discomfort or dis-ease or aren't exactly what you want, I can say that there's nothing wrong with you having that experience. So you're having an experience here in infinity. And the framework that I see that came from awakening and healing is that, first of all, this is infinity. You, everything is infinite. So this moment right here, right now, as you're hearing these words, this moment right here is the same moment that we've ever known, that you will ever know, and that you've ever known. This is it. There's a bunch of stuff moving, a bunch of form moves, but it's still the same moment. It's not that we go into the future and then it's still now. You could say it that way, but then there would have to be a future, and there isn't actually a future. Now, I know it's kind of weird to say that because we're so conditioned into believing that there's a future, but I look at it this way. If you want to use a little bit of logic, there are a whole bunch of ways to perceive and, then, and to evaluate or observe objectively so that we can discern what really is, as opposed to what we've picked up from coming into this environment and inheriting a mindset that has come from other people thinking things for thousands of years. So we show up here, we have no thought, we're a baby, and then we start to pick up words, and they have concepts and assumptions and built into them connotations. And those words which are sort of labels and tools for all of the phenomena that we experience here, whether it's the objects around us or the way we feel or actions or other people or whatever. But basically they're useful and they turn into sentences. And when we're babies, we learn, you know, da-da, mama, ba-ba, and then we learn I want food or whatever it is. And then it turns into, eventually it turns into a stream that flows through our field of awareness that never stops for many people, for perhaps most people. And a person is sort of run by that thought cloud or that program, that conditioned state of mind stuff. And it basically controls them in a way. And I'm not saying that's malevolent or benevolent. I'm just saying that's what is. 
We show up, we don't have thought, we pick up this thinking, it becomes a stream, and a person starts to follow it around because it's running through their field of awareness. And the person never gets a break from the stream of thinking. Unless in their program, and this could be you hearing this right now, if it hasn't already happened, this could be part of you having the experience I'm about to describe. If a person is fortunate or blessed or chosen or whatever the word would be, if the experience is meant to happen, the program that they have also has within the program the function of booting the person out of the program or booting the program out of the person and making the person aware that there is a program so that they can start to objectively observe thought and then use thought instead of thought sort of using them. <laughs> instead of it running you, you get to run it. You get your mind back as an empty space first within which thought can be used by the being beyond thought that's always been there and always will be there. That's the part in there that of you right now that is perceiving these words. So yes, the ears are picking up the words. If I look around the environment right now, I can you know use my five senses to perceive my environment. But there's also something in there that's perceiving those five senses, right? There's something in there that we might call the witness, I've heard it called, or the observer, or self with a capital S instead of with a small s, which is more about the identity. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with an identity. Like, there's all these, there's all the scapegoats out there, right? So the ego is now the new, one of the new scapegoats. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with having an ego. If, if it's been conditioned into being, it has function. It's there. And that's how I see everything. So the ego, the way I see the ego, including the mind that we were just talking about, the ego and the personality and the identity, which could all be the same thing, is an interface between the infinite and the finite, seemingly finite experience that we're having. It's the interface between the invisible and the visible. It's the interface between, let's say, the fourth dimension or multidimensional into this three-dimensional experience that we're having. I kind of see it, it's almost like a, a controller in a video game or something. Like there's a person holding the controller and playing the video game. And so without the ego, we wouldn't be able to function. And the ego is or the identity, which is an idea entity. So that's your name and whatever your qualities of your personality, which are infinite. I'm not going to go into trying to describe it because everybody knows what it is because everybody's got one. So we have this interface. Part of its function is to pick up this thought cloud and to start interacting with the environment and creating within it. And at first, I see it almost like a training program. So first, we're learning how to interface with the environment that we're in by, again, learning these words and thinking and imagining and intending and feeling. And inherent in those words and thoughts and beliefs and, and therefore that thought stream 
And therefore, since, since these ideas that I'm about to present are in the collective thought stream before we get here. So everybody comes here and they, they pick up a thought stream that's already been here. It's not your thinking yet, unless you've come out of the thought stream. But until a person comes out, they're not thinking anything. They're being thought through. And in that thought are some really fundamental misunderstandings down in the code that I discovered after about 30 years of studying and trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what it was that had people turned against each other and themselves. Like, what was it? You know, I just didn't get it. I couldn't understand why people were so lousy to each other. I was like, what the heck is wrong with people? <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people ask that. But now I know, and it, there is nothing wrong with people is the answer to that question. And for many years, I thought there must be something wrong with me because I didn't fit and just couldn't understand where the heck I was, you know, being on earth. And so I went on this long search, and what I found was... Not only was there nothing, quote, wrong with me or anybody else, but what I found was that there was no one there in the sense that what we call an identity, what could be wrong with a person, like their, you know, their personality or whatever it might be. What I found was just what I described before was this observer, just an experiencer of reality, this neutral awareness, you might call it, or consciousness. And then an identity and a personality that perhaps, you know, we have the identity that comes, or surely we have the identity that comes with the person when we're born here, which may be, you know, from many, many, many other lives or experiences in the three-dimensional. And then when we're here, we pick up the conditioned, quote, self, including this thought cloud. And what I discovered in the, in the thought cloud, in the collective thinking, is that we pick up the ideas, we misunderstand the use of terms like good and bad and right and wrong. And it's important first to establish that there's the relative reality. So there's the 3D world that we're experiencing. And in the 3D world where we play with we play with the idea of it being finite we play with there being time which is a coordinate marker here in this one eternal moment for movement so i see time the way the sailors would use the stars to navigate the seas so that they would know where they were as they were going around this ball in the water right earth and so we have clocks and watches and time simply to navigate infinity. And we can say, hey, at this coordinate marker, I'll see you at Starbucks or whatever. Right? And so in the relative reality that I just described a little bit, things can be good or bad for other things, things people experiences. The root of the word relative is relate. So some things are good for other things and some things are bad for other things. And that changes according to position or when or who. So one kind of food may be good for one person and that same food can be bad for another person. So that food is not inherently good or bad. 
It's only good for somebody or bad for somebody. And that can change among people, and it can also change for a person where at one point in their life they may love a certain food because it's good for them, and then it's bad for them. They develop an allergy, or it just isn't right for them. Even in one day, by the hour or the minute, what things are good for us or bad for us. Or this one that I like to play with is gasoline is good for a lawnmower, but gasoline is bad as a beverage, unless you want to get really sick, and then gasoline is good as a beverage. So gasoline is not inherently good or bad. It's only good or bad for certain things. And if, if that lawnmower was an electric lawnmower, then gasoline would be bad for it, <laughs> you know, unless you wanted to set it on fire, and then it would be good for it. And so nothing is inherently good or bad, or right or wrong. There's a wrong side of the street to drive on. There's a right side of the street to drive on. Now, if I'm driving on the right side of the street, from my perspective, you're on the wrong side of the street for me, but it's the right side of the street for you at that moment. And that can switch if we both do U-turns, and then the wrong side becomes the right side for me, and vice versa for you. And if you go to England, then it's exactly the opposite. So right and wrong are relative terms. That is easily evidenced by our laws, which change constantly from day to day, year to year, town to town, county to county, state to state, country to country. You go to a different country, they have all different laws. Things pertaining to marriage and ages when you can drink or do whatever, you know, they change dramatically. All of those laws basically, in a way, say, this is right and this is wrong, but they change from day to day, month to month, year to year, person to person, country to country, etc., etc. The state laws are different from the country laws and from each other. And, you know, the police are out there trying to enforce this line that moves. And God bless the police, that's like the hardest job in the world. I think that's the hardest job that there is. You make one tiny mistake and you are scarooed and you're basically taught to go and find the bad guys. And seek and you shall find means that whatever we look for, we're going to find. And so they're stuck sort of like cleaning up the shit of this line that I'm, I'm talking about right now where people do all kinds of horrible things to each other. And I'm going to get to why people do that stuff. So we're born into this environment, we have no thought, and we pick up these ideas from the thought cloud. Part of them are that there's good and bad, but specifically, we pick up the ideas that we can be good or bad. And buried in the code, whether a person has gone to church or not, buried in the code from the misteachings in religion, and I'm not saying any of this is wrong, I'm just saying what is. I don't want to hear anything about Oh, yeah, that's because those bad people did this bad. That's exactly what I'm eliminating. <laughs> and I know that's the collective thinking, but you got to push the collective thought cloud out of the way for a second and just look at things anew. In the Bible, it says something like, something about having the innocent heart of a child, right? And this is that. This is just looking at what is without any preconceived ideas. So we show up. And somewhere in the code, whether you're directly, whether a person directly heard it or not, are the ideas that if you're good, you will go to heaven in the future, and if you're bad, you will go to hell. 
and there will be a guy named the devil and you'll burn forever, right? There's really terrifying. It must be terrifying for children <laughs> in church. You know, five years old, their earliest memories, right? They're picking up this idea. And even if a person didn't go to church, it's still everywhere in the culture, partly from church and partly from everything else. That if you're good, you know, mommy and daddy will love you. Or if you're good, then your teachers will love you. Or whatever, all down the line, you'll be... You'll survive, first of all, right? Um, and if you're bad, you're going to be knocked out of the pack and marginalized and turned on by the pack, right? If, you're, if, if the pack turns on you, which the pack does to people all the time, the crowd, the group. And so all people, to some extent, sort of take what they think they are. So this natural experiencer of reality and that includes feeling now we talk about having feelings i have made a discovery based another one of many discoveries is that we don't have feelings right there aren't these like plural nouns that visit us from outside or something and then we have them we feel we're feeling centers and there's no wrong way for our feeling center to feel it just we just feel but that's not what we learn. <laughs> we learn like this way is a good way to feel and this way is a bad way to feel because we've learned that everything is either good or bad. Not just us, but everything. Right? So the experiences we have, other people, ourselves, everything is either this or that, right or wrong or good or bad, which are terms that are helpful in the relative. Like I said, some food might be good for you one day, it might be bad for you another day. Marijuana was considered bad. It was considered the devil. Now marijuana is considered a healing plant, right? So it's the same stuff. How can the stuff be good or bad? It's not. It's good for some people in some situations, and it's bad even for the same people in other situations and for other people. Under certain circumstances, it can be either or both. And so... Again, we pick up these ideas, and the person, in a sense, sort of turns on him or herself, or sort of divides in a way. And this is like everybody. I'm not talking about, you know, some small percentage of people who are crazy or something. I'm talking about this is the norm. And again, it's meant to be. This is, this is the game here. This is what happens. <laughs> it isn't wrong. It happens, so it, are, it, it isn't right or wrong. It just is. And so the person starts to reject, let's start with the feeling, right? So they feel, and then it's like, oh, not supposed to do that. And they sort of try to stop the energy that's happening within them. And energy can't die. So it gets pushed to the sort of like to the side somewhere. And, and then people start going loco or uh, sexuality is a good example. Every human being is super sexual at a very young age, probably maybe 10. I remember it at about 10, but I'm not exactly sure. But I think 10 years old was when I started uh, recognizing that I was sexual, 10, 11, 12. But it's considered wrong for people to feel sexual at that age. It's the weirdest thing when you see it. And it's considered bad, which also came, I guess, from religion. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a person's sexuality. It's just the most natural thing in the world. Everybody is so sexual, naturally, and in our culture, especially in America, we act like it doesn't exist or something. And if like, if you look at a person, especially these days, now it's considered like, hey, you looked, <laughs> you looked at a woman, how dare you or whatever. And it's like, who isn't looking at each other? 
who isn't observing each other in that way? Everybody is. But we've learned that we're not supposed to, so it gets repressed. And then it turns into all this weird stuff that we don't want because originally it's been repressed. So you have these guys who are like priests, and the facade of a priest, the identity of a priest is immersed in the idea of good, right? And which they aren't, because nobody is, and nobody's bad either, inherently. So priests are not good, nor are they bad. They're life forms. But now they're representing good. And the most of what we call bad happens when the front is good, because the more the front of the person, the more the identity is representing good, the more is repressed. So priests, as everybody knows, lots and lots, tons of priests were caught molesting children, right? Because the sexuality is more repressed in them. So they're going, I'm going to be good now, and I'm not going to be sexual. But nobody isn't sexual, right? <laughs> so it gets like shoved to the side. The same, I was talking about cops before. Cops are out there, their whole identity is good, you know, serve and protect. We're going to go catch bad guys, all that stuff. And again, God bless both of those professions. There are great people in both professions, and I'm not knocking the professions at all. I'm talking about why the stuff happens that we don't want to happen. So cops are out there, like I said, enforcing this line with this facade and this identity and this front of being the good guys, right? And we all know now, big time, after um, people started having video cameras in their pockets with phones, with cell phones, and just catching them, like literally killing people, and then representing good guy. And that is the same thing. It's, it's this, when the identity is wrapped up in being good, by default, no matter the percentage that a person is identified as being good, they have to find a bad guy at that percentage. They have to find bad somewhere else. Hence, all of the scapegoating that happens in our culture. This is what happened to Jewish people in Germany. Those Nazi Germans and Hitler and all those people who were, you know, mass murderers, they believed they were the good guys. And we can look now and go, huh, that's crazy that they thought they were the good guys. Well, so do those priests and so do those cops and so do you to some extent think you're the good guy. It's not about now saying they're the bad guys because they're not the bad guys either. Oh, well, of course they are. Look what the terrible things they did. Anybody who thinks that they're the good guy is scapegoating other people. It may be in a smaller way than obviously what the Germans did to Jewish people. But the point that I'm making is that those German people thought they were doing the right thing. They really thought they were the good guys. And that's why they did what they did or they wouldn't have done that. Cops think they are the good guys and they are doing the right thing as they kill people and stick them into cages and beat them with clubs, which they are taught to do by the collective. Priests think they are doing the right thing. All down the line, lawyers lie. Not all of them, of course. This isn't all Germans. This isn't all of anybody. But it's just showing in exaggerated ways what happens and the root of why they happen. The only important thing to take from this, because you cannot fix those people unless you fix you. 
And the only way you can fix you is to understand that you picked up the idea that there's something good about you and there's nothing about you that's good or bad. You are a life form like a cloud or a wave in the ocean or a tree or a kitten. You're just life. There, you have absolutely no value or lack of value. Value is another relative thing. Something can be valuable for another thing or invaluable for another thing. And that's it. And that changes constantly. Again, life just is. And then we add these ideas to it about good or bad, right or wrong, or value or lack of value. But life doesn't care about that. Reality, existence, infinity, it has absolutely, those terms have absolutely no bearing on any of it. And so one of the most powerful things any person can know to heal and awaken to a whole new level is to know that you're not good and you're not bad and there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing right about you. You're a life form and you picked up this program that had you, and this is everybody around you too, that has you in some ways turned on yourself thinking it's bad if I do this so I'll shove it to the side I can't feel this right this feeling is wrong this thinking is wrong this behavior is wrong this desire is wrong whatever it is it's sort of shoving half of the human experience to the side and then the desire to be good which is to be accepted and loved which is a fine that's a fine enough desire right but the desire to be good inherently within it carries with it Somebody else has to be bad. And another thing that we push to the side with this idea of what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong is something that another discovery, and if you, if you take this in, it'll blow your mind. It changes the whole, another thing that changes the whole way that you perceive reality. And you probably can't see it at first. It took me 30 years to really see it, to really fully see it, is that what we call pain we reject from thinking it's wrong or bad. Now, I'm not saying I enjoy pain, but there's organic pain such as in our bodies, we have this nervous system. And it's not actually, it's not actually pain. It's more like we have biofeedback in our environment and sometimes it alerts us or wakes us up or it makes us uncomfortable and that's its function. So we, anytime it's uncomfortable, the, the feeling the biofeedback, whether it's the whole planet or one person or whatever, like in our tooth or in our leg or <laughs> wherever it is, it's a messaging system. So what we call pain is actually a signal, a signaling process. And I posit that it runs through all of form and it harmonizes everything. I believe that it's an electromagnetic signal that runs through everything, that it makes birds fly that it makes waves in the ocean, it makes the winds. Um, and it's, it's very hard to see at first, but for this conversation, inside you, there's an electromagnetic signaling process. And we have pathologized that too and lumped that, also lumped that into the category of bad or wrong. Yet, if you look at a mother who's giving birth that signal goes off to wake her up and alert her and guide her through a process. So it, it comes on more strongly when the person is meant to be more awake. And going back to being born into an environment where we don't have any thought, 
we pick up this thought cloud, we pick up a conditioned state of mind. If we're lucky, like I said, part of that conditioned state of mind or that program will boot us out of the conditioned state of the mind, that, that conditioned state of mind or that program. And the signal that, that forces that to happen is what we call pain, so we think it's wrong. The conditioned state that they're in starts to become unbearable. And for me, it was many years of unbelievable suffering where I had picked up these ideas and I knew they weren't right. And I, I knew something wasn't right about the collective thinking. And so little by little, starting again about 30 years ago, I started having these epiphanies along the way. So I had incremental uh, awakenings and mystical experiences. I would have full-on healings sometimes in my life, and I didn't know what they were. This one time I was in South Old Long Island, and I was with some friends, and I woke up in the morning first, and I got out of bed, and I just felt pulled out of bed and towards the back door, which happened to be open, and it was maybe 7 in the morning, the sun was coming up, and I just felt pulled out the back door, gently pulled, like a gravitational and as I'm getting closer, I'm walking across the sand, getting closer and closer to the water, and the water was kind of rough, a little bit windy, but a nice, beautiful summer day. And as I was getting closer to the water with this pulling sensation taking me that direction, I was getting goosebumps, but they weren't going away. They were intensifying and filling my whole body. So this only happened one other time where it lasted this long, but this was the longest ever, and it just kept more and more and more until my entire body and head were full of these goosebumps, which I don't even know what the, they are. <laughs> and it's almost like spirit, right? And tears were pouring down my face. Just like, what is this? You know, the most moved maybe I've ever been in my entire life. And just as my feet touched the water, it was as if... I dissolved, or I had the experience of the interconnectedness of everything, or both, or we're always dissolved, because our bodies aren't solid, and they aren't disconnected from that which is around us. They appear to be, but the body is basically a whole bunch of little tiny particles whirring around that exchange with the environment all the time. It's a spacesuit made of spinning earth stuff <laughs> that we retire when we decide to leave here. So I'm pulled to the spot in the ocean as my feet touch the water. I have this experience where I was the earth, that I was standing on the sand. I was the water. I was the wind. And I was the sun. And like, I was, all, I was it. I was really all of that. And then it kind of gently faded. And I, I walked back and started going inside. And it was like, I had had some similar experiences in the middle of the night and these out-of-body experiences where when I would come back, it was as if there couldn't ever be any problem ever. Just like completely the most unified and at peace and at harmony with all of existence that I think a person can possibly be. So I've been having those experiences my whole life, and I, and I knew... Um, incredible joy and freedom and connectedness. And so it's almost as if I went down into kind of the doo-doo of the human experience for many years after having done the St. Francis prayer 
which is to be an instrument for peace. I'm not a Christian. I'm not anything else. But I really meant that prayer when I said it to be that where there is discord, let me bring the spirit of harmony and let me be an instrument for love, basically. And for 12 years, man, I was I went through this experience where I didn't think it was an answer to a prayer. I was furious, like really furious at times. I was so sick for so long. And I, I didn't know until I healed. I ended up moving to Switzerland and I finally healed. I realized it all at once when I had this healing is that that was the purification and that was the way for me to be the vessel through which that healing could happen where I did climb the mountain to understand how to explain to other people how to come out of it because I was just having these mystical healings like I didn't have to do I don't I didn't know how to share that with other people but I could see how much other people were suffering and so I went through this long thing I, I finally got to the top of this mountain this mountain it felt like I was climbing a mountain I kept seeing a mountain and then finally I made it I healed and I knew with perfect vision perfect 2020 all the dots connected my whole life my parents lives everything was crystal clear that every single step of that led to that moment where I had this healing awakening experience and then for a year I was just downloading truths and music and other stuff and this is part of it is and I've been learning how to say it to other people and so that's what this is you know we, we pick up this idea these ideas and it sort of turns us on ourselves and by default then people turn on each other and that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as we go into groups and packs and then groups turn on other groups and it really isn't about like i used some examples before like cops and priests and germans and stuff it isn't about them those aren't i'm not saying those are the bad guys and we're the good guys that would be doing the exact same thing to them that they were doing to those guys if, if you're attacking germans now then you are them you're doing what they did to jewish people now you think you're the good guy and you're attacking other life forms that's the exact same thing just in a different way at a different time but it's the same thing at its root and it's an easy trap so don't blame yourself for for doing that don't turn on yourself even more for it it's the mindset that you inherited and i'm trying to help you out of it to take it out of those scenarios where it's very easy to fall for being the good guy against bad guys takes it out of an easy good guy or bad guy because all of those are easy bad guys right but here are a couple other ones i lived in switzerland for six years and out of the window in the living room there's a castle up on a ridge in baden switzerland and that castle is in ruins. One day somebody told me the story of why that castle was in ruins. And it turns out the two neighboring towns, the people in those towns went at each other with weapons and killed each other because one group were Catholics and the other group were Protestants. Now, of all things, right? Religious beliefs. <laughs> of all things. But that's how pervasive these ideas are. We're more good. No, we're more good. You're the bad guy. No, you're the bad guy. No, our religion is right. No, our religion is right. And oddly enough, it's easy to see if you're not in either of those groups, but it's really easy to see the absurdity of two religious groups killing each other, right? But there's also this. They're not even those people's beliefs, so it doesn't even matter if you're a Catholic or a Protestant. Those aren't even your beliefs. You came into an environment and somebody told you something and you went, okay, no, I believe this. That's that program I'm talking about that a person can wake up out of if they're lucky enough to have the distress that creates the waking up out of the program. And the reason I bring that up is because 
people will start to go, man, this isn't, you know, something's off, something's off, something's off. And they'll go to a doctor or a therapist or a 12-step program or something. And the people in, in those places will treat the person's disease or pain or discomfort as though it's something wrong and try to make it go away. And meanwhile, it's like, it's like God's doorbell waking them up out of the dream, out of, the, out of this mindset that they inherited. There just aren't a lot of people who can guide them through that. And another group I saw, uh, I was watching a documentary, and it was two tribes in Africa, lest a person fall for the idea that it's about race or that it's about, that it's about anything. It isn't about the outside things. And so on this one, it was two African tribes. I forget who they were. They were like the Sunnis and the whatevers. It doesn't even matter for this conversation. Basically, it was one group of people who said, our beliefs are, we're the good ones with these beliefs. And the other one was saying, no, we're the good ones with these beliefs and you're the bad ones. And they went at each other literally with machetes, lopping each other's limbs off to, <laughs> over these ideas that aren't even theirs. Once again, it's like madness over this same thing at root, which is that people are conditioned into a state where they think they have to be good and by default somebody has to be bad. And the intention in there is a normal intention that the person doesn't want to go to hell <laughs> and doesn't want to be cast out of the pack. They want to be loved and connected. That's the desire in all this madness is that people want to be loved and connected. Here's another documentary I saw while I was in Switzerland in that same living room with the castle out the window and I'm watching this documentary about an elephant in Africa, a baby elephant the mom was killed by poachers, and the baby elephant was found by these African dudes who had an elephant farm. And they brought the baby back to the elephant farm, and there were all these other elephants there, and the baby who was grief-stricken because its mom had been killed by poachers wouldn't go near the other elephants. She just stayed to the side alone by herself. And they would take all the elephants out to go walking and you know, eating plants and rolling around in the water and the mud. And the baby would just stand by a bush and do nothing. It wouldn't eat. And slowly but surely, the baby would move a little closer to the other elephants, let its body touch the other elephant's body, until finally she was running and then she was rolling around in the mud and spraying water and eating and just being an elephant all over again. And I was crying and crying and crying and crying because in our culture, we don't do that. Somebody has a difficult situation and we go, oh my God, they had this terrible thing happen to them. And the person kind of, it's like the person's in an environment where they have an experience and then that environment kind of rejects them very often. And then they have to, like the baby elephant didn't have to go to like a doctor elephant or a therapist elephant and be diagnosed with trauma or something like that, or PTSD or something, and given elephant medication or rehabilitation. or It didn't have to go to some special place away from everyone. Instead, it was just not rejected by the pack. And by not being rejected by the pack, she organically healed because everything heals. Everybody experiences loss and grief. That's part of the environment. That's not wrong either. I mean, we're afraid of death. And if everything that's ever lived here, we're talking about an incalculable number for billions of years of Earth, right? There's been all kinds of life forms on here. And they've all died. So how the hell is death wrong if everything that's ever been here has died? Everything that's alive right now is going to, quote, die, right? Guess what? We don't actually die. This, is, this moment is the same moment 
we're ever going to know. The essence that's inside a person doesn't go anywhere. We consciously create a body to have an experience and we leave consciously when we want to. And that observer, that experiencer, that consciousness, that awareness that's in there, registering what the five senses feed it, registering the thought that comes across the field of awareness, and then starting to use it creatively to create reality, right? Which is, I believe, the purpose that we're here. But maybe there are lots of purposes for coming here. I don't know. But it seems to me that we come here to learn how to use the five senses in this 3D environment and thought and imagination and intention and feeling to select from all of creation whatever it is that we choose. And part of that is picking up this program (laughs) that teaches us all kinds of stuff that it's kind of like a simulator program for astronauts. Now, in a simulator program for astronauts, they don't make it easy. That would be a crappy astronaut. They make it as challenging as possible so when that astronaut gets into outer space, she or he can handle anything that happens and not lose their cool and not make bad decisions because hopefully they've made all those mistakes in the simulator program. That's what it seems like Earth is. (laughs) We come here and we're learning how to create, but just like those astronauts, we're throwing all kinds of challenges. Going back to Michael Jordan again, He said in some speech, he said, you know, I missed way more shots than I made, right? (laughs) I've been close with people before, like in relationships where it's not the story, damn it. It's supposed to be this story that I picked up. And like, life is way, way, way better than some story that it's gonna be something. It's really cool as it is. (laughs) Even with all the stuff that we consider problems. Problems are basically prompts that that invite solutions. And if we didn't have challenge, we didn't have difficulty, and we didn't have problems, what the hell would we do? What would we do otherwise if we didn't have this world the way that it is? I think we would be like cows. We would have, we would fuck, (laughs) we would eat food, we would shit, and that's basically it. We would be animals. When we're, when we're given challenges, and difficulty as much as i'm not you know don't want to invite even more i always have them though i always have challenges and difficulty in my life we all do but a person who who takes them on and doesn't go oh this shouldn't be happening who doesn't have the mindset that it shouldn't happen always discovers that it signals something great It's kind of like how we buy truckloads of cow poopy. We buy manure, truckloads of the stuff, and we sprinkle it around on crops because it makes the crops grow. With flowers, there's rain and there's sun, and they grow great. But they're not resisting the stimuli that make them grow. And so we've learned that the stimuli are bad that make us feel uncomfortable or challenged. And a lot of that comes from this misperception that I'm talking about. Like, for example, you see with some kids, they're babied, 
you know, when they feel something difficult and the parents will go, oh, no, and they try to protect them from their feelings, which is, a, you know, obviously a, a good impulse on the parent's part. But they're not protecting a child from their feelings. We, we've already established we don't have feelings, we feel. What they're doing is they're alienating the child from feeling. They can become emotionally crippled going into adulthood because they think that feeling certain ways is wrong. So they'll feel something uncomfortable, and the first misunderstanding is that they shouldn't feel that way because of their childhood being told that's bad to feel that way and it's somebody's fault. So they, they alienate their feeling center thinking what's happening inside them is wrong. And then they think it's somebody's fault from outside them, and then they try to hurt the person outside of them. And if the person outside of them doesn't fix the way that they feel inside, they can even go on long campaigns to try to like kill those people or destroy their reputations or whatever. All over this one very simple thing, the idea that there's good and bad or right and wrong beyond the relative, and that when it's applied to the way a person feels, which rejects discomfort or pain or whatever, which are all normal, right? Like loss and breakups and things like that or people calling you stupid or whatever it is, right? The people who become really strong aren't protected during those years and they learn to just go through feelings. So whatever happens, they feel it and they get stronger because they're not rejecting the process by which we actually grow and develop and become strong. Just like the simulator program inside us, we feel and by not thinking, picking up the idea outside of us that which isn't your idea or my idea, it's just left here. And by not having that idea, the person stays put, and whatever it is they're feeling, they just feel it, and then it passes. Just like babies, before babies learn this stuff, babies just feel, and we still are, in a sense, that same essence that's in a baby. And so a baby will feel mad, and it'll go, ah, and then it passes, and they're, ha, 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 you know, or it'll feel sad, and it'll cry, and then that passes, and then they're back to, ha, 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 goo, 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 or whatever, you know, or staring into space, or, and we are still like that, and now it's all pathologized, like for men, sadness is considered weak or something, and crying is incredible, it's a flushing of the system, even joy is considered bad, or anger is considered bad, feeling anger is like really natural, it's like, uh, if you don't, you're crippled, you know, and it's the same with sadness and it's the same, the whole, it's basically not even feeling those things because those aren't separate things. To call them those things is even inaccurate. To say that we have, we feel sadness or we feel anger or we feel joy. They aren't separate states. We just feel. It's like the sky and the sky has all this weather. It can rain, it can snow, it can be clear, it can be windy. The sky has weather. It can be night, it can be day, it can be overcast, whatever, it's still just the sky and it's experiencing weather. And that's what we're like. And there's no wrong weather. It's all part of a, our harmonious ecosystem of being a person. And so, yeah, man, that's almost an hour. I'm new at this podcasting or whatever this is going to be, a video. I think there's some really incredible information in there. At least I found it to be, when I discovered these things, I had been wondering what all this stuff was my whole life. I was like, what the heck is going on? I would have an epiphany here and a healing there and another epiphany and another healing. And then I went into these 12 years of a dark night of the soul where I was being purified and where 
I was either going to die or I was going to figure this stuff out or find it or discover it, really. It wasn't really figuring it out. It was more like discovering it. And I did this long, it was like doing an archaeological dig on all the beliefs that we all pick up, what people thought and felt and the patterns of thought and the collective beliefs and assumptions and all that. And it was like, it started coming to me bit by bit by bit. And then finally the whole thing just fell off. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I couldn't believe it. It was like, it was like a eureka massive discovery that I think is a paradigm shift. It's down in the code of our operating system. And so it changes the way that we perceive reality and the way that we relate with one another. And if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and like and share this video. Get this out to people so we can help to heal Earth. So have a pleasant infinity space travelers and happy everything. Of a higher mind